It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, my name is Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Jane Fallon is a best-selling author. She has written 10 novels that have been translated into over 20 languages. And her book, Queen Bee, was a Richard and Judy book club pick that sold over a million copies. Today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. Hello, Jane, how are you? Well, thank you. Now I've got over the uh, the technical stress. <laughs> it is so stressful when things won't work. I just can't bear it because I don't know what to do. I couldn't, I was trying to do something the other day and I couldn't work out how to do it. So I Googled it because I thought that's a sensible thing to do. And I came across a Reddit answer to what I had to and then I had to sign on to Reddit oh no with all that confirm your and now I'm, oh, I don't know. and now are you getting I mean Reddit as far as I'm concerned is a place where people go to just be abusive but uh, you no exactly be... they did solve my problem <laughs> it was how to log on to Deliveroo clearly <laughs> I can't even do that to log on. I, I mean, I can manage that just because my children once put the app on my phone because they wanted a KFC or something. So, uh, like I said before, you, you, children are just IT support for future. Uh, yeah, I've made a terrible error. You've I should... made a grave error. Mm-hmm. Um, that and like carers is one of those arguments that people always say to people who decided not to have children. Well, who's going to care for you when you're old? As if having children is just to sort of breed carers. The and then also the assumption that they're even going to still be speaking to you when exactly. you're exactly <laughs> no guarantees. There's absolutely no guarantee. So I don't really want my kids to care for me. They're they're sloppy at best. <laughs> yeah, they'd moan, they'd whine. Exactly. I'd feel guilty. Like, oh God, I'm gonna just pay someone to do that job for me. I wouldn't employ them as cleaners. <laughs> so, uh are you much of a letter writer? Do you know what? I'm not really, actually. Um, I used to be in the pre-internet days, like when I was young, I used to write long letters. I remember when uh, I was about, I think, 13 or 14, maybe, my next sister up went to be an au pair in Greece, and we used to write long letters, and like stupid things like I'd sit beside the radio and I'd note down the whole of the top 20 when they did the chart review. <laughs> And I'd send that to, after a couple of weeks, it must have meant nothing to her because she hadn't heard any of the songs, but I would do it anyway. 
And we used to have this whole thing where obviously she was off having adventures in Greece. But my parents would be very, she would write them letters, but then they'd be very excited. When I got a letter in the bib, they'd be like, oh, can we read it? And so we devised this whole system of page 9B. So you'd get to page 9, and then I'd sneakily take out pages 9B, C, D, however many she'd written with all the secret stuff on. Amazing. And put it back together so they'd never know. There was all this, like, hidden stuff she was sending me. Oh, that's good. Because, you, you know, she doesn't want to talk to your mum and dad about, like, you know, snogging and... No, Dagging. not when you're 16, yeah. Not when you're, no, not, not, not to your parents, not then. Although my children, let me tell you, this is a quirk of modern culture that I'd like to go away. They talk to you about everything. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't, don't want to know. Keep it to yourself. Well, they talk to you about their, like, I don't know how old they are, but they talk to you about their, like, love lives and Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they talk to me about, like, the people that they fancy. I mean, my oldest is nearly 17. And they, they like, talk to you about your friends, like, shagging and, and like, and like, I'm like that. Do you know what? I don't want to know. Keep it to yourself. Half the fun is keeping this stuff to yourself, which is, I'm sure, not what I meant to say from a safeguarding perspective. But I am a bit like, oh, God, you should be a tiny bit more embarrassed about some of these things than you are. Exactly. And also, isn't half the only way you're going to get through being a parent not knowing about most of the stuff people are... Exactly. Exactly. Like, ignorance yeah. is bliss yeah, in definitely. most circumstances. Um, but yeah, they're, they're much more like talky. I mean, obviously, they're doing much less fun and exciting things or, or dangerous things, in fact, than kids did when I was their age but uh, maybe they're not maybe they're this is maybe a, they are hiding it from me oh maybe they tell are. her all this like quite kind of innocuous stuff that love <laughs> horribly and she'll never know all the terrible things we're doing <laughs> well let's hope so that would be good <laughs> I really hope for them that there's more to it than this um because kids do just seem oh I know it is a very different life isn't it I always think that when I see um all the kids being driven to school, like everyone's driven to school. I know, how weird. You're off at seven o'clock in the morning and you find your own way there. Yeah. And like, you know, the idea of being a latchkey kid, like you, your parents weren't around yeah. when you got out, they were at work. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is odd. And they don't seem to like drink and take drugs and, and things like that as what anywhere. Wrong with them? What is I the know, and, there's, and like teenage pregnancies, like not really a thing no. so much anymore. No. So, do you have any real letters of note, like love letters that you've kept from history or letters from like, I don't know, dignitaries? Do you know what? The, uh, the two best letters I've ever had, one of which I still have, one was my letter telling me I had a blue piece of badge. Oh. And I still have that, although I can't find a badge to save my life. And I did actually, I think I tweeted them once and said, can you send me a badge? Because I had one and I lost, they just didn't answer. Um, and, uh, and the other one, this is really going to make me sound old. So the other one, when I was a kid, when I was about six, there was this DJ on Radio 1 called Jimmy Young. Uh-huh. And he was like the big daytime DJ. And I loved him. And he had this little voice. He used to do a recipe every day and he had this little voice and it used to say, what's the recipe today, Jim? And its name, he used to say, oh, let's tell Raymondo the recipe. There was this whole thing. Anyway, in my six-year-old head, I thought this was a little creature. This was a thing called Raymondo and I loved Raymondo and I wanted to meet Raymondo. And so I wrote Jimmy Young a letter and said, um, can I start a fan club for Raymondo? And uh, not only did he read my letter out on air, which I think nearly killed me because I happened to be listening, um, but they also sent a really sweet letter back saying um, Raimondo already has a fan club, which wasn't true, but anyway. <laughs> but the really sad thing about um, the Blue Peter letter is I found it when we moved about six years ago and it was only then 
40, 50 years later that I realized that my name was in a completely different type to the rest of it. So that it was like a standard letter and they just put my name in. And also that Biddy Baxter's signature was a print. Oh, thank God you hadn't noticed that as a child. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, completely different type though. Like, <laughs> I mean, they probably back then, like just had the standard letter and put it in a typewriter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because it wasn't quite lined up. Yeah. It was a little bit skew with it. Yeah. Yeah. They just had like a thing that they'd photocopied and they just put it in a mm -hmm. typewriter and literally typed your name over the top. No, it was my pride and joy for years though. There must be some people with some letters from that era that are now questionable. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you you Jim or fix it. And... Yeah. Thank God I never wrote to Jim or fix it. But um, <laughs> God, some better thinking about. But no, luckily Blue Peter. There's yeah. another thing that's a problem with. I've now become like um, Alf Garnet. Another thing that's a problem with young people today is that both my sons have Blue Peter badges. And do you know how they got them? They just yeah. asked for them. No. No talent required. I mean, to be fair, I didn't have, there was no talent required for mine, but I did get it. I wrote them a letter. They even used to have animals on, I don't know, they still do. And they had a guide dog, a Labrador, golden Labrador guide dog that they introduced called something like, originally like Goldie. And uh, it looked a lot like my dog. So I wrote them a letter saying, I think my dog is related to your dog because <laughs> they look so similar. <laughs> and that's what I got my Blue Peter badge for. Okay, but still, you put in some effort. You didn't just oh, fill no. in an online form with your name and address and then got a Blue Peter badge. No, that's terrible. Because when you were young, it was like it was a bit like doing the Duke of Edinburgh. It was. Like it a was. I never got one. I got. Um, we had like a bring and buy sale for I don't know Waterade or something back then in the eighties, and I got like a sort of a, a one that that wasn't like the shape of a Blue Peter badge. Mm -hmm. It was just a round one that said like "Thank you for your bring and buy sale," and I. It didn't get me into anywhere for a cheaper discount. Um, no, I don't think I ever used mine in all honesty, but I know in theory it was, but yeah, it was meant to be that little shield, wasn't it? The, the little shield, yeah, the Blue Peter badge. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'm just saying, I feel like it might have been slightly debased. My children definitely both have one. And yeah. uh, as far as I could tell, did nothing to achieve it. Well, I might uh, burn my letter now. <laughs> <laughs> worthless well no yours is one of those ones like you know everybody claims that exams are just getting easier every year like yours is like real yours has got talent behind it you at least wrote a letter and yeah. thought also i think that the raimondo um fan club is another thing that is wrong with modern society is that we don't have like organized fan clubs where you send off like two pounds fifty for the and you get a little fanzine do they not exist anymore? i just don't think that exists anymore no. It used to be like just some little person doing it for absolutely no glory. Yeah. <laughs> but what what absolute legends those people were. No, just I the don't... love of like the random the most random things had fan clubs. Yeah. Yeah, and they and you never got anything. You get, well, I think I was in the T Rex one and you used to get a letter once a year and a photo. And I think that was it, to be honest. But even so, like you got a little badge when you first joined, so yeah. It's, it's, it's a, that is a, I'm going to, I'm going to start that back up again, that retro. Mm -hmm. My kids have started like buying tapes and having records and things. Let's get proper retro and start yeah. really lame fan clubs where yeah, we don't really get Yeah, really good to do one for, like really sad. <laughs> yeah, like really rubbish. Um, right, that, I'm, that's, I'm going to put that on the to-do list. You must have letters from like publishers, like. Yeah, no, I do. Actually, the truth is I have. Actually, not really from publishers because I started too late, so it was all emails. But I do have some 
I have had since I started publishing books some kind of letters from readers and I do keep all of those like that's a really lovely thing to get and just the idea that someone will bother to send you something and say you know I've had a couple during the pandemic where people have said um it got me back into reading like I, yeah. I a lot of people seem to lose their ability to concentrate and read during the pandemic I think um understandably and I've had a few people saying that my books got them back into it or something and those I absolutely treasure I really do like any of that kind of stuff I think is it's just a joy and especially in this day and age for someone to sit and physically write a letter oh, is kind of extraordinary I think yeah like, no, I've almost forgot you lost the ability to write with my hand I also I get some crackers ones though as you oh, might I imagine you do, yeah. I get some crackers uh, letters yeah. one man writes to me on a weekly basis he has amazing script calligraphy I mean it's 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 a lot of pages. I'm I'm gonna be honest, I don't read them all anymore. It's not yeah. one of my constituents. What's those, ones? Like those ones where you can see the indentation in the paper there. Yes, yeah, so where they're really cross. Yeah. Uh, also when people change colour. That is Ooh, the sign. Right. Of... <laughs> actually use the pen up. I got one when I was doing when this live first went out, which was like a TV show I made back mm. in the nineties. I uh... literally loved it. I've oh, dedicated wow. my entire life to being Anna from Oh amazing. Life. <laughs> she was the best character. I was like that, right, I'm going to basically live my life, grow up to be like Anna. <laughs> Completely like <laughs> off the rails. Um <clears throat> I got a letter that came to the BBC addressed to me. And it, it wasn't only that where they pressed so hard on the paper where they're so furious, but they'd also sort of drawn on it as well. And it was actually really scary. It was basically saying they were going to kill me. And uh, it slightly freaked me out. I think they had quite a lot. It was about 10 pages long. Oh, yeah, they're um, always really like, long. Yeah, always really long. And, you know, you've made, you've got this filth to our screens and you'll be punished and stuff like that. And I just, and I, all I was thinking was at least it went to the BBC. Like, I don't work. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm the BBC, so at least they won't find me. But yeah, thankfully, I haven't had one of them for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I get them all the fucking time. Um, but yeah, the best one ever was somebody just sent me like a used and slightly mouldy yogurt pot lid. In a, in a hate mail, I was like that. Mm. Do they like contextualise it? Do they say no? No, that's it. There's nothing better than things out of context, isn't there? When people don't mention it, yeah. like anything to do with it, no context. I mean, the mind boggles, doesn't it? Like you know, and I, what I like is like to fill in a mystery gap. So I'll, I'll be like, yes, maybe it was like you know, it had some sort of horrible poison on it, or, uh, but yeah, don't just don't don't mention it. Maybe it was put in by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I loved this life so much. And the thing that was the best about it was the filth. Yeah. I was a teenager. I wanted to watch filth on the television. I didn't want to watch it in the chamber of the House of Commons, though. Oh, uh, I know. Now it's the Porn Palace. How's it going? <laughs> what? I mean, I'm very grateful that I've had COVID this week and have been away from this madness. I wouldn't even be watching the filth level of this life in I, the Commons. Yeah, I kind of hope my MPs aren't watching anything. Like, exactly. Not, but I know that's too much to ask. But oh my God, the porn thing is a whole other level. I was a bit like, my first reaction to it was, I mean, I feel like I'm very naive and maybe I am naive. Um, but I was like, I thought the point of watching porn was the interactive element. So, um, what are people watching it for? If and then no. one of my colleagues was like, "Oh no, there's a bloke in the queue at like home base behind me the other day, and he was just watching it on his phone." Presumably, you've become totally desensitised to it. I don't know. You must do because you're clearly not 
doing what you'd assume they'd be want. doing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's absolutely bizarre. Maybe, maybe it's better these days. That's <laughs> got storylines and maybe. <laughs> I think actually it hasn't got storylines now. Seventies porn had storylines. Postman, wasn't it? And window cleaners yeah. and stuff like yeah, that. Or, yeah, or like barbarians. Lots of people with beards. Lots joy of, of sex, essentially, yeah. on the screen. Yeah. Um, but no, now I just I don't think there's any storyline. Maybe there is. I don't know. Um, so this one unravels itself. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. Cat's ass, absolutely yeah. acceptable. Mine was in here, but I don't know where it's gone. So, uh, I've asked you to think about three people you would want to write letters to. Yeah. I mean, I'm really hoping that one of them is Raimondo. Um, whoever <laughs> or whatever Raimondo was, a fiction of someone's imagination. So, the first one is the person who means the world to you. So, who would that be? So I'm going to pick my friend, Anna, Mm -hmm. um, who's like my closest best friend. Um, Mm -hmm. And just to kind of contextualise, I kind of have lots of friends, but I don't, I've never really had close friends. I've always found that, um, it's always been a bit of a mystery to me, that whole close close friends thing. And uh, I don't know, I I was just a bit of a loner, I think, when I was a kid and quite happy being like that. And, you know, I'd get invited to parties and stuff and I was a slightly weird kid in the, corner and, and all that kind of stuff and it was kind of fine but um you know I would look at those really tight twosomes or threesomes and and it seems sort of impenetrable to me and I've always been that person that um which I think a lot of us are really that mm. you'll have a close friend where you're working and then you'll go and work somewhere else and you kind of end up slightly losing touch with that person and you you know you become friends with someone else in the new place and I've done that I'm like a serial new friend maker and so god lover Anna who I met in 1992 I think or three We've been sort of friends since then, but like really close for about 15 years. And she just puts up with, you know, I don't want to hang out on the phone all the time. I'm not kind of really gregarious. I'm not really chatty. I'm quite hard work to be like a best friend. And she just hangs in there and she's just the kindest, nicest. She makes me laugh like crazy, but she's also the kindest, nicest. She's that really rare thing of someone who is genuinely pleased when something good happens to you. Yeah, that is rare. Yeah, it's really rare. It's outside of your like immediate family or you know your partner or whatever. Mm. Really rare. And so I think when you find that, and I feel the same about her, hundred mm. percent. So it's made me learn a lot about how to make a friendships work, and you know how I have to put the effort in and all that kind of thing, and you know that never really came naturally to me. But I just love her, and I just don't know what I'd do without her. And actually, the book that I'm just writing at the moment that's coming out in the summer, the main character, her best friend, has died in a car crash. And it really, when I was writing it, it really made me think, like, what would I do if something happened to her? Like, you can't replicate those friendships that you've had for years and that history that you've got. Also, there is a sort of social understanding about what it is to be widowed or to lose a parent or even a child. But we don't give any sort of social credence to... Like you wouldn't get time off work if you if your mate died. Like in, no, exactly. in normal jobs, whereas if your kid, your husband, or your mum or dad died, you would get like you get compassionate leave. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and you know you can't that there are, that's a really significant other in your life, and you, that's a massive hole you'd have to fill. So you're right; it's not we don't take it kind of seriously. We enough. don't take, and I often think that like you know if you if your husband went off with your best friend. Who would you mourn more? Is that, you know, like the the mourning of the betrayal, and I suppose that there's a woman element to this. Is that I just feel like the betrayal would be harder from the friend than, and the loss would be greater if my friend was gone. 
it's because you process the idea of your partner dying or like because you have to like you have to literally do yeah, things yeah. like write wills and yeah. and do that sort of thing you have to you're forced to process it but yeah we don't do anything about i just don't know what i do i don't know what i do my husband's best friend died when he was uh, my younger son is named after him when he was like 22 was killed in a car accident and yeah he's just like it was it was very hard to process that yeah yeah it is it's a really tricky one and the more I thought about it while I was writing that the more I just thought I need to be better at kind of showing her how much she means to be you know you you kind of because you do and it's not that I take it for granted but you do you take for granted that she'll always be there Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I need to be more demonstrative about how much I absolutely adore her I think and how important she is in my life she might get a bit like, oh, what's happened to you? It <laughs> <laughs> might not be what your friendship is based on, so just prepare for some resistance. Yeah, my friends, one of my friends sent me a message, one of my very best friends sent me a message the day. She said, I just want you to know that I love you. And I just went back, wrote back and said, any particular reason? <laughs> you know, has something happened that I've missed? Because sometimes like there'll be something on the news about you and they'll write you like, you know, someone threatening to kill you or something and they'll write to me and be like, oh, send me a message just like, like, just, you know, we're all with you. And sometimes I've missed the news and so then I have to like look at the news. But she was just telling me she loved me and I was a bit like, what's happened? Oh, well, no, we've started doing We both started doing it, though. I always know when she's had a couple of glasses of wine because I'll get a text message going, oh, I just love you. <laughs> so now I'm doing it back. So now it's just like a massive old Oh, that's all right, then. If it's, I think that that is a really key thing, that of being a grown-up and also really, really loving somebody external to yourself is not feeling jealous when something good happens to them. And I don't think that that happened to me until... I think there's part of it is that you're happy in yourself and all that, like you're satisfied with what you've got. But like, like I am genuinely joyful when something like comes off for one of my mates. Like I'm like that. Oh, yes. Yeah, same. And that's how I think you know that they really are. How close you really are to them. Like just the fact that you feel like that, you you know that they're really incredibly valuable. Like, where did you meet Anna? Uh, we met on EastEnders actually. Oh. Lena. Um. So I yeah, like I say, it was 1992 or 93, and I was a. Uh, script editor at the time in the book in the script department and she was working in the art department and we didn't really you know you sort of meet those people sometimes and you think oh I really like them but you don't really know them we kind of knew each other but we didn't really know each other very well but I always thought oh she's really cool I really like that guy and every time I had to deal with her about everything anything it was always a really good relationship and then straight after he sent us I went to do this live and so I was taken on as a really inexperienced producer like it was an amazing opportunity for me, like a really inexperienced producer kind of given carte blanche to do what I wanted and it was terrifying. And I had to get a team together of, you know, people to work around me. And we also didn't have any money, like literally no money to make the show. And I was thinking, how can I make this work? And I thought, I know what I can do. I can, because it was a cheap show. So there weren't any kind of expectations about it really. But I thought I can, um, I'll give everyone a promotion. So I'll, I'll employ everyone who's a job level lower than what I'm going to employ them for. And so they'll be like thrilled to get their leg up and I'll be able to pay them a bit less than I would have had to otherwise. And so I thought, oh, she can come and be the set designer. Like, I had no idea if she could do the job, but I thought I really liked her. She won't scare me because she's not like a big old experienced person who's going to see straight through me straight away. So I, I rang her up and said, do you want to come and design this new show? And she was like, well, obviously. Um, and thankfully she turned out to be absolutely brilliant. Well, and then after that, we used to work. We worked it's very memorable to me. 
this TV oh, show. So. Didn't it look great? She designed all those rooms. She did. Yeah, all I mean, it looks brilliant. I, yeah. I can literally physically remember like the, all of it. So there you go. Oh, and then we were basically we worked together for years. I always made sure we worked on the same shows for years. So we kind of got closer and closer mm. and closer as we went along. My God, I feel like it's iconic. And maybe it's just because of my age mm. that I think that This Life is an iconic TV programme. It was like game changing. And I can't even quite put my finger on why necessarily, but it was. The reason it looked like it didn't at the time, it looked quite weird. You know, it was a lot of like cameras swinging around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, was was because we had no money. And we were we were thinking, what can we do that isn't doesn't look like Crossroads when we've got, <laughs> no, we've got the money of Crossroads? That, that's my people you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> where's Amy Turtle now? <laughs> and so we decided that we would only ever shoot one way. We'd never move the camera. We'd just follow everyone. So you would save hours and hours and hours of time and therefore money by not having to move the camera from place to place. Like you wouldn't move it to, you'd shoot from one side of the room, you wouldn't move it to the other side of the room and shoot the other way. We'd just swing around and follow the action. So the whole kind of visual style just came out of that fact that we had <laughs> no money to spend. I mean, it did feel different to anything else that you'd like it just felt yeah it just felt really really different the characters were brilliant and all that it was fun that's fun as well it was really good fun to do because i had tony garnett who exec produced it and who took me on was just the most supportive he'd always been my hero anyway like he did cares back in the seven years whatever it wasn't he was just like this is a program for young people i'm too old you do what you want but i'm here if you need me so it was like this real comfort blanket that was there for advice when i needed it which i really often did but he didn't interfere because he had this idea that it should be made by young people because it was for young people it was just yeah it was a brilliant well i feel like that did come across rather than it being patronizing towards like young people right um, it, i felt like that came across i mean I, i think it's bloody legendary i'd like you cite it in my top 10 favorite tv programs of all time Amazing. i absolutely loved it oh. I remember just like lying in bed and watching it on like a black, still had a black and white TV yeah. uh, that my granddad had given us that still the knob that you oh had to God. twist to get the channels. Just lying in bed watching it. Um, Imagine showing that to your children now. So you're a Twitter. Yeah, no. My children them. don't even know what buttons are like on a cassette player. They think that you press the screen. They're like pressing the piece of plastic. I was like, what are you doing? They're like, it says play. I said, no, it's just printed on the plastic above the button. Press the button. There's a really funny um, video that went round a while ago of some grandparents sort of playing a trick on their, their teenage grandson and they got a plug-in house phone, a landline, and told him to make a call on it. And it's just so funny. He has no idea what's going on. <laughs> putting it down, pressing things, then picking it up. It's just like, it's like a foreign alien. How can it be that quickly that that went away? Uh... I mean... Oh, also, somebody needs to be teaching them because in the workplace, landlines are still very much a thing. Like, so we're going to have all these teenagers who've got total deficit when their boss on their first day says to them, you need to call downstairs. They're going to be like, what? <laughs> I haven't worked in the office for so long, actually, now that I just have no idea. They all, still have, they all still have normal phones in them offices. So teenagers need to buck up their ideas, otherwise they're going to not be fit for the office environment. So, Anna, how would you sign off this letter to Anna? I think what I'd say to her is thank you for always being in my corner and always being my biggest cheerleader and just putting up with my lack of experience of being a friend. <laughs> how lovely. What a lovely thing. My lack of experience of being a friend. Like you had to, she had to teach you to be a friend. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can learn how to do it. It's a lot harder work than people make out. Like everybody knows that it's difficult to have a relationship and you have to put work in. It's actually quite hard to be a friend as well. It can well, be a bit like, oh, got to go. My tendency is just, I just kind of, um, I'll just drift along and suddenly think, oh, I haven't spoken to it. And I thought, no, you have to put the work in. You've got yeah, to- you have to put the yeah. effort in. Yeah, like if she invites you around for dinner, then you've got to be like, well, I've got to make sure that I make sure that I don't just always rely on them. So the second person I asked you to write a letter to was to somebody who's no longer with us or they don't have to be dead. They could just not be around you anymore. Um, But so who would that person be? I'm going to pick my dad, my lovely dad, um, because he died in 1996. So he missed, he funnily enough, just saw this live. Mm -hmm. Actually, I was at home. I was at home when the first episode went out on TV and my mum was like, oh, we'll watch it. And she put it on, I was thinking, mm-hmm. and it got to some, I think some, someone, a bit of nudity or a bit of sex or something. And my dad just went, I think I'll go and make a cup of tea. <laughs> like the whole 35 minutes, he never came back. It was really sweet. It just made him a bit uncomfortable. But he, so he knew about that. He knew a little bit of my TV. So he obviously knew, knows nothing about the books that I've written. And, mm. and I just know that he'd be, he'd be dying with pride if he knew, because he knew how much I love reading and writing and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I would just want to let him know what I've been up to, really, in the past. What was your dad's name? His name is Patrick. Patrick, was he Irish? Uh, yeah, his family are Irish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My husband, who is um, the swarthiest uh, white man in history, he believes that in Birmingham he will be the only person when the lights are switched off um, because he is the only person who has no heritage anywhere else. It's like everybody is either Irish, Pakistani, he's got nothing. He's literally from like the Tisley Tippers as far back as he can get his family to go, which is like a mile from my house. Uh, it's just like, what is this? Like, But yet he has been racially abused uh, as uh, and suffered from Islamophobia on many occasions because he's black-haired, dark-skinned and has a black beard. Um, he's just like, I've taken the downside and yeah, the, any of the upside. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to persuade my boyfriend to get Canadian because his dad was Canadian. Oh, Canadian's a good one, isn't it? A Commonwealth one. Yeah, I know. It's a good one. Um, but no, I'm very proud of my Irish citizenship. Very thrilled. So Patrick, so he was he was born in in England, presumably. He was born in so all his family. He was the second youngest of seven, and they all the older ones were born in Dublin, and then they moved over here to Tottenham, and he was born here. They had a newspaper shop. My mum and dad. Can I just say, I feel like that's the coolest thing in the whole world. It was quite funny, but do you know what? They worked. They had to work really hard. So they would get up at four thirty every single day of the week, both of them and go down and sort the papers out. And then on Wednesday, you still had half day closing. So they'd get Wednesday afternoon off and they'd close on a Sunday afternoon. So they'd get two like half days off. But it was, it was a great place to grow up because we lived above it. So we could just go and hang out mm-hmm. in the shop all the time. There were like magazines and books. Sweet. Well, we were allowed one chocolate bar every Sunday. Oh, is that all? Jesus. Because they worried that we'd go insane. Yeah. But then when I was about eight, I realized there was no lock on the door to the shop from the flat. so. For a while, I would go down there at like three o'clock in the morning and like stuff myself and take a load of stuff upstairs. But slightly stupidly, I took it all upstairs and I put it under my pillow. <laughs> so I had a little pillow mounted and obviously my mum would made my bed and suddenly there was a lock on the door. Oh, before you got into like smoking fags and things. Yeah, that I was too young, too young for the fags, thankfully, because that yeah. would have been really handy. That would have been so handy just having loads of fags downstairs. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah. 
but it was it was a fun place to grow up and it meant you know it meant everybody kind of came in and out and you sort of knew everybody and um all of that stuff but yeah it was a it was kind of hard work I think for them and then they left that when I was about 12. What did they do like I often wonder what happens to the people who used to run the shop? You run the little shop well they had this whole plan I think so this was like the early 70s when we left um and they had this whole plan that they would retire a little bit early and then obviously there was the recession and it, it was just it was there was no way that was going to happen so they just had like a series of jobs like my dad worked in smiths and then he worked in curries and then he worked in um sitting in a show house in these like little new estate of houses that have been built to show anyone around if they mm. came around and my mum was a secretary worked in the solicitors and so they just like did a load of different jobs really until they reached actual retirement age. They must have been very proud of you like working in telly. Yeah, they were because it was such an alien world to Yeah, totally. That would have been completely Yeah. Like... I think it, it was I mean they were I'm the youngest, so you know it's kind of becomes quite hard to be make yourself notice when you're the youngest. <laughs> I'm the youngest of four. Yeah, you know That's what it's why like... I am the way I am because I had to show off. <laughs> you got to, yeah, to get you got... any attention. Exactly. And because I was like an, an introverted kind of really shy child, I thought I've got to somehow make myself stand out. So that was part of my drive to do something like that involved writing and stuff, because I knew I was good at that kind of stuff. And I thought I can like, I can make myself stand out in this way, I suppose. But yeah, they were very, very proud, very, very proud of all that. They started watching EastEnders, which they never watched before. And they watched all sorts of shows they never watched before, but they would get so excited when my name went past on the Oh, credits. I mean, that would, it's, I mean, I love to watch the credits. We like to look for people with funny names on the credits. Um, but I love to watch the credits, but it'd just be so exciting when your name goes past. That must have been like trying to get it on the video. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's the video? For me, it was like mind blowing the first time I saw it go past, but every time they'd be like, they do a little round of applause every time my name went past. Oh. Was really how exciting and also like now having become such a successful writer they would be incredibly proud he would be incredibly proud of that yeah so my mum knew about my mum only died four years ago so she knew about the books which which I'm really pleased about um but yeah my dad would have been so pleased when I was little I used to write because I wanted to be a writer from like the age of five but obviously it's not something you articulate even go about it do you know what I mean when you're like I just don't even know how you people become writers just naturally. Uh, I kind of thought you were born into some kind of literary club. Family. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So you're a Bronte sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's the option. Bronte sister or nothing. Bronte sister or kind of posh boy going off yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Or goes to boarding school, writes yeah. stories at boarding school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I would write, even then, I would write little books which were like, you know, four pieces of paper folded over and drawings and stuff. And I would give them to my dad and I would try to get him to sell them in the shop because we had a little paperback stand in the shop. You wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Um, but he knew, he absolutely knew how much I love writing and, you know, English was always my big thing at school, everything like that. So he would have just exploded with pride, I yeah. think. Also, there's something, when you've written a book, actually referring to yourself as a writer at all, I think is it becomes like a, certainly a class thing. Like, and saying, like, you're an author, it just sounds wanky, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's quite yeah. hard to say. It is. I know. When people say to me, what do you do? I kind of do that. <laughs> oh, well, I sort of I write books and I don't... As yeah. opposed to just, you know, hey, I'm an author, which is... Yes. Uh, you know, like, there is something about saying that you're a writer is um, makes me feel a bit like... Um, and it shouldn't. And it's, it's nothing... It, but then when you see a book that you have written for the first time 
like holding it in your hands it's like it's like magical yeah it is it is it's absolutely incredible it, also i think if people say what you do and you say you're a writer they assume that means you don't do anything <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, you're, and you're then, a writer. Or they'll ask, they'll do that awful, have I heard of you, which is like literally the worst question anyone can ever ask. I don't know, have you? <laughs> At that point, say Emily Bronte. Yeah. <laughs> Jane Austen. <laughs> yes, would I have heard of you? It's just sort of like, I don't know, you could be into like manga for all I know. No, I love getting all the foreign editions. I've got a little shelf. Um, oh, here. yeah, the foreign those they come through with all their mad covers and everything and like seeing what they help what they've changed the title to it's never not the most exciting thing in the world yeah there is very few jobs in life these days um my dad said this to me when uh, he came down to london to see me um to come to parliament and um as we were getting on the tube it's like rammed it was at stockwell tube and it's absolutely rammed. And my dad just turned to me and said, all of these people going to work now, I said, yeah, he said, not one of them will make anything today. And I was like, that. oh, God, that's a sort of horrible realisation of the end of industrialisation. Like, he was just sort of like, nobody will end up with a product, <laughs> like a thing by the end of this day's work. Unless and... making some kind of craft beer or... Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe they were making, I don't know, coffee ground yeah. dolls. You know, like, that is... And so much of my life is like absent. So the idea of holding a thing that has been made, that you have made, I think is it's becoming a rare and fleeting thing. In um... yeah, it's true, and it is really special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like loads of my family worked in the car industry because Birmingham has all the and like there used to be like I made that one. I made. That. It's like you uh -huh. don't know that you made that one. How could you possibly <laughs> know? All Rovers look the same. Yeah. You didn't make that one. Oh, that's well, my word. Pride, isn't there, in producing something? Yeah, like in producing something, yeah. making it. So he would have been, yeah, I'm sure he would have been very, very proud. So how would you sign off the, your letter to Patrick? I think I'd just say thank you for always let, letting me feel like I could do anything I wanted. He was always very, he never made me feel like I was constrained by being a girl, which I think, you know, we're talking about the 60s, mm -hmm. 70s, and often people did. He was always just like, you, just work, you do whatever you want, but you have to work hard. So that's yeah. the main thing you work on. So thank you for giving me that work ethic and for, yeah, always just being so proud of me, whatever I did. Thanks for the Irish citizenship. Yeah, thanks for the Irish citizenship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still in the EU. <laughs> thanks so, yeah. for the Irish Yeah, Because I grew up uh, in the sort of wake of the Birmingham pub bombings with a father from Northern Ireland. Um, I, you know, and we used to get treated dreadfully um, and... People are really horrible about that sort of thing. Uh, it does feel like the upside of the citizenship has definitely uh, paid yeah. off for some of those years. Last laugh. Yeah, indeed. We'll be back to hear Jane's final letter after a short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So the last letter I asked you to think about was to somebody who doesn't know what an effect they've had on your life. So who would that be? Uh, I'm going to pick Faye Weldon, the author, Uh um, who I've never met in real life, sadly. But when I was, so obviously, you know, you know that I used to just like read all the time. I used to love reading, but I was in that sort of weird transitional phase between being a kid and being an adult where you've read all the kiddie stuff and you haven't quite found your flavor for being an adult so I was sort of reading classics and you know I was quite enjoying them but nothing felt like it really spoke to me and then I found Praxis on one of my older sister's bookshelves I must have been about 16 17 I think and it just blew my mind just the idea that writing could be so conversational and so down to earth and so relaxed Mm. you know even though there's always a bit of a kind of surreal element in Faye's books that people just talk like people talk and they're swearing and there's it just opened up a whole world of writing to me that had a massive influence on the way I write she's had an influence on the way I write like nobody else um it made me completely rethink even though it still then took me a good 25 years before I actually put a novel into anyone's hands but I was always writing and it made me completely rethink the way I wrote and you know realize that actually you know I would get caught up before that if I tried to write anything and thinking is the grammar correct and stuff like that which is just it's like nothing to do with anything it's like you've got to tell a story and you've got to tell it well that's the main most important thing and I sort of learned all that from her really that you should just it should just be like you're telling a story and you can write in whatever style you want it's up to you like you don't have to stick to a very um sort of rigid proper way of writing yeah I think that that is that's a great lie that is told I think especially when you're learning to like massively overanalyze literature if you study English um at school um and like they'd be like oh you know we'd be reading Thomas Hardy or and it would be about 
wet grass and they'd be like well that's about sex and I think why don't you just say that it's about sex rather than writing about wet grass yeah, or maybe it's just about wet grass <laughs> yes like you you don't know exactly. you might have loved the moistness of wet grass English <laughs> teachers are all obsessed with sex is my view and they make they make up like everything was about sex and they were always pregnant so obviously they they that proves my point they were always going off on maternity leave front of their minds. but I before I used to like Again, like I think most people don't know, like pour over every sentence. And obviously you work something to death if you write like that. Yeah. When you study English, which I only did up to like A-level level, but you do, you pour over every sentence, you take it apart and it's like everything, you read into it that everything was willful. Well, it's not always, I think. No. I read, um, so Philip Pullman had some sort of conversation with somebody on Twitter and they were saying, well, I think this is what he was saying. And he just came and said, it's up to you what you think I was saying. It's not for me to tell you, the reader. Like, he's like, hey, I can't fucking remember every word I've ever, like, who could remember every sentence they've ever written? I mean, a lot of it when you're writing is absent-minded. It's like, it's like the moment if you watch yourself writing with a pen, if you actually think about how your hand is just making micro movements on a piece of paper and it is coming out in language, it'd blow your fucking mind. You wouldn't be able to do it very much. So like, it's like, you're not think, it's not like every word is being thought about when you're writing. Exactly. And I think now when I read, or especially like when I was working in TV and people would send in submissions, you can see when people have overthought things. It's like, yeah. it's no good. It's just, there's no heart and soul in that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I find that with a lot of uh, sort of left-wing commentary. I think you've used 7,000 words where four would have done. Yeah. And, like, that being over-clever and over... Um, if if you're explaining, you're losing, I suppose, is the uh, is the, the, the maxim for that. Like, it's just, like, stop saying it. Stop I agree. And it's also, yeah. like, it's kind of a... It's a sort of showing-off thing. It's sort of going, well, if you don't understand what I've written here, then you're not as clever as me, which is... That's never the point in yeah, any... the point is, is that people will read it and enjoy it. Yeah. I, I think the greatest books are, are the ones when you're reading them, you feel like they were written for you. Yeah. So that's, that's how you felt about this book that you were reading. Yeah. Like you, you felt like it's like... Although I did run, recently read a book that I had spoken to the author about and it was about a Member of Parliament being abused. And so it literally was about me and I found it slightly unnerving because I was trying to sleep. <laughs> I was like, that this seems oh, like yeah. my life. Oh yeah, you don't want to read too much. <laughs> um, but I also then I discovered she had a whole back catalogue that I didn't know anything about, so I read all of those. And I she used to at that point bring out one book a year. And I my Saturday job was in a bookshop, best job I ever had. Loved that job. And so I would just wait. I'd wait for the I'd get the catalogues <laughs> coming out and everything. Yeah, she was just a massive kind of hero of mine for years. And you've never have you ever written to her or? No, I haven't actually. And I keep thinking, because obviously maybe she's still around. I keep yeah. doing that one day, I'll kind of, and I keep talking about her in interviews thinking, maybe she'll hear this and like shout and say hello, but she never has. You could reach out to her. No, but then what if she goes, go away, leave me alone. Well, she, but the thing is, what's the worst that could happen? She won't reply. Well, yeah, you're right. You are 100%. That right. is the worst that could yeah. happen. No, Nobody's right. going to lose an eye. <laughs> well, maybe. I might say. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Fame might be wielding the pen very hard uh, that you, you actually like how i feel when i get left some readers saying they've enjoyed my books exactly. just love it on that level now i should you're right i will i'll write a letter people love that shit yeah they do they but do people, but we don't see it in ourselves ever we don't ever assume that like i always just think i'm going to be a bother to somebody else if i ask them to do anything but when anyone asks me to do anything i'm like yeah right i'll give it a whirl like 
but, but for some reason you can't put yourself across that that whereas you love it when people do it, so you should you should write her a letter because you never see yourself as anything other than the you you've always been that's why like as you don't look at yourself yeah. and think i'm this like big famous yeah. mp you're just the you you are whereas everyone else looks at you in a different way yeah, yeah. i mean not not my husband <laughs> no, so it shouldn't. So he, he said to me, "You should write a book called Take Yourself Down a Peg or Two. You're nowhere near as good as you think you are." I love that. So <laughs> that would be a brilliant self-help book. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I often get asked, "What would you tell your sixteen-year-old self?" And I'd say, "Wind your neck in, love. You don't know everything." Whereas other people are all like, "I'd tell them everything's going to be all right." I'm like that. I'd tell my sixteen-year-old self, "Don't be such a prick." Yeah. <laughs> oh, I tell mine not to be so self-conscious. My life is lighted by being so self-conscious really but i couldn't do things like i couldn't i was really sporty i was like a really i was really good at sports when i was a kid but i couldn't play sports in front of other people because i would get all self-conscious and i couldn't do it and i wouldn't be able to do it and i was just stupid things everything i was so self-conscious about everything do you still feel like that a bit no it only stopped probably in my 40s maybe yeah what, what do you think it was just fuck it moment yeah, fuck it. And it was around the same time that I submitted my... I decided I was going to actually finish a novel and hand it in and really put myself out there and tell people that's what I was going to do. I had this... It was a big sort of fuck it epiphany when yeah. I was about five and thought, literally, again, what's the worst that can happen? What is the worst that can happen? I'll write a book and it won't be any good. It's like, I've written... <laughs> nobody will read it. And nobody will know because nobody will have read it. That, that's... Exactly. And I'll get a very polite letter from an agent or a publisher saying it's not for us. It's like, fine. <laughs> So yeah, that had an all-round effect on my life, actually, that whole kind of... And also, I knew I wanted to get out of TV, everything. I was just yeah. like, it's got to change. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to be shy. I just never experienced that. But it must be, like, debilitating as a young person not to want to do anything in front of people. Yeah, it's, it's real. And I hated myself for it, but I would get physical symptoms. I would start to sweat and, like, shake. And, like, even now, actually, the one thing I still can't do is I can't speak. Uh, oh, in public? Yeah, can't do it. Can I just say, I mean, I don't mean this is going to make me sound incredibly arrogant. It's the genuine skill that most people who try and do it don't have, uh, including 90% of the people who do it in Westminster. Um, but as somebody who publicly speaks for a living, it's actually like, it's a hard thing to do. I'm, it's easy for me. It's easy for people like who do it all the time because they just practiced at it. But it is actually quite an ask of people to speak in public. Good. I'm glad you said that because I feel like it's just me sometimes and I get my mind goes a blank it's like stage fright it's like I can't think of any words not even so you don't do like book readings and things I've done the occasional I, reading I you can read you can just yeah, read, I can read. Yeah. and I can be interviewed on stage I can yeah 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 radio. that's all fine it's just when it's just me and I've got to open my mouth and say stuff yeah. I always find book readings a bit uncomfortable anyone's book readings something about an author reading their own work I, find I don't ever read I'll just be interviewed yeah, I, I, I try and get out of it if I can. Cause yeah, it's because it is, it's awkward. Especially because you have to pick a piece from a book that has no context. It's like the yoghurt pot. <laughs> it's the yoghurt pot of events. The yoghurt pot lid. And what do you do? Do you throw your all into it and, you know, act it out? Oh, I don't know. oh, you see, yeah, because, I mean, obviously you're talking about, like, you know, fiction. Also, like, if you read your own uh, audiobooks, I always think, oh, God, do you have to do accents? Yes, I know. It's funny, my audiobooks are split. They've all been read by people who are absolutely brilliant. But they're split between people who did different accents for different characters and people who didn't. And it actually doesn't really seem to matter. I read my audiobook and it was had words in it I'd never said out loud. 
And so, you know, I've written them down a million times, but I'd never yeah. actually said them out loud. And so, like, every, like, tenth page, they had to, like, look up words for me to say, because I was like, that. I don't know how to say this. And then it was like a posh person from London. And I was like, oh, I don't think I'd say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't you speak. You can like that. this word. Yes, could you? I need, what I need is a Google Birmingham accent for all words translator. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is awkward. But most people, and I think that people, when they start speaking in public, uh, think it's going to be much easier than it is. And so start to panic. Um, and yeah, when it isn't good. that easy actually but you watch I mean obviously working in your line of work over the years it seems like it comes so naturally to people doesn't it like but it's just practice I think it's just practice I don't think I would ever get there is the honest truth I just think me and that are not meant to be it's never going to be my forte it's like there are people that are so good at it and I'm just never going to be one of them I might be able to just about get through something by the time I'm about 80 but yeah Yeah, I mean, but it's not really that cool. When I was at university, we I had to do it, um, it, like give a presentation in my first week at university. And we'd never, obviously, maybe people from public school did this, but uh, we'd never, and we were like taking, we were going to the doctors and taking like beta blockers. We were that frightened. That's how frightened the like ordinary kids were. Yeah, well, that's me still. <laughs> me still, if I have to speak, just think of that, you're 18 year old self. That is literally still me. And so I'll, sometimes I'll be asked if I'll go and give a talk somewhere and I always say is there any way that just anyone that works here can sit on the sofa for me and just chat to me and then it yeah, yeah. well I'm brilliant at public speaking and I could stand up and speak for two hours with no notes and be perfectly fine um but and I have done that when I've turned up to an event that I thought was an interview and they were like no you just need to talk about domestic abuse for two hours and I'm like that right then here we go um but so I can do it but I would always much prefer it to be conversational so to be interviewed like that I would still prefer that and I'm very well practiced at it but the idea that anyone also it's not very interesting for the audience for me just to stand yeah yeah and lecture you or read my book like You read it. That's what you've come for. <laughs> you don't put in the effort. Exactly. I've shown up. You read yeah, it. that's it. I've bloody wrote the thing. It's for me to read it now. So what would you say to Faye Wilden in this letter, which you are uh, now going to definitely write? I'm now going to definitely write. I'll send you a copy. I would say just thank you for being such an inspiration and opening up the world of contemporary literature to me. And it just changed my life. Oh, I bet she'd be so chuffed. Well, let's see. I'll let you know if I get rid Yeah, <laughs> she might be a massive bitch, but uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I know people that know her and they all say she's lovely. Yeah, there you go. It seems unlikely that she'd be a massive bitch, but you never know. Well, Jane, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, and fangirling over this life, um, which is the greatest show ever made. So well done for that. Okay. Uh, I even have like Anna's haircut right now. I literally have dedicated my entire life I don't smoke fags anymore, though, but I do put my fag smoking down to her. All the years of fag smoking. She was so cool. So when people say, well, smoking isn't cool, I'm like, it is. It definitely was in the, like, 80s and 90s. It definitely was. I mean, I'm not saying take it up, but... No, don't do it now. Now it makes you feel sick, but I did it until 1998, I think. Yeah, I mean, now it's horrible, but... It did look cool. It was cool. Um, But thanks, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, alone. Thanks for the basically the fact that I can't run more than 100 metres without gasping for breath because I can't breathe from the years of smoking. Um, but uh, and thanks for telling us about your people. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it was an absolute joy. Thank you so much. No worries.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.